I'm North. And I'm Mayor. We're friends from college. I like to say I was raised a Democrat and became a Republican in college. And I consider myself a moderate liberal. We found that we were able to engage in a civil yet evocative manner, and we're hoping to bring that to the wider public. So please follow the podcast, listen to every episode. Share it with your friends and maybe even join us as a guest. Take my horse through the old town road. I'm gone. Ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your horse. I've been in a Welcome back to the North America podcast. It's now just me and Jonah. Molly has left the conversation to go do more important things. What more important thing could she be could she be doing than our podcast? I mean, I know, truly I know. shocking. I mean, defending innocent people in court. <laughs> North and Mayor podcast. Yeah, if you if you had to choose one, I think the choice is pretty yeah, clear. Exactly. Well, I think that something something that she was saying, or maybe something that I was saying. Someone was saying it. I'm gonna go off of something that I said earlier, is that I I don't know how Republicans should fight mm, what the is culture happening. war. On, on, yeah, I don't know how they should fight the culture war because I agree with you. I don't want to make the podcast about the left. Yeah. You know, I I want to talk about what Republicans sure. should do, but I just genuinely I don't know because the it seems like either way, like it seems like if if Trump and Trumpy Republicans try to use more of the power of the state to clamp down on like education or something. You know, for example, like what he signed the executive order banning critical race theory trainings, trainings on on white privilege in the government stuff like that. That I don't think any other Republican would have done. Right. But I don't know that that's going to make it better. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it might just inflame things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I'm not not optimistic. It seems like you you have to offer something, right? So yeah. Pe- people are choosing identity politics because they feel that it's going to uh, meet whatever their perceived needs are, you know, there's something advantageous or, or something that they like about it. So I, I think the only, in the free market of ideas, if if you want to compete with it, you have to offer something that's better. So I, I think it's, if Republicans want to put a stop to it, I, I think the only way to do it is to either show why it's detrimental or offer something better. But I I, I don't think just sort of trying to shut down identity politics is going to be a fruitful endeavor. Yeah. I do think there has to be some sort of an affirmative offering. I was listening to, this is a couple months ago, but the Ben Shapiro show Sunday special with Douglas Murray. And he was saying in UK politics, which I don't know much about, the conservative party over there has too much been focused on economics and not arguing the culture Mm -hmm. war just kind of like dodging the cultural issues and just saying, well, our economic theory produces, you know, the most utility. And that I think, unfortunately, humans are just not built to, to find that particularly compelling on an emotional level. Um, I think it is much more seductive to feel like you're in the fight to end racism. You know, I mean, that is a very, that's a serious, like, that could be like a moral calling. For you. you you don't you don't have a moral calling to like lower tax rates you know like it's just not the same you're not playing the same but game. i think you can make it real for people oftentimes when we talk about i think something that the left has done 
well is instead of just talking about healthcare in the abstract, like making it concrete, you know, talking about people dying, people being sick and not being able to afford the care. Like I, I think you can make policy practical in people's minds, but it does take, it does take some work. Yeah. I think that they could offer probably, I think it's harder with Trumpy Republicans. That's why I'm not Trumpy. Um, I think, I think what conservatives can offer is that you are the master of your own destiny in this country. We have freedom and a unique freedom and you are in control of your life. It's up to you. You have, you have the ability to make your life everything that you want it to be. And I think that level, that idea of adventure can be, can be something that people will find compelling is that life can be, life can be brutal, but ultimately it's worth it. And you can persevere and, and overcome difficulties and live, live your adventure. But I think as inequality grows, as it's clear that we still have all of these lasting issues in the country, I think that 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 concept is losing its salience because it's like saying that there's, there's a great race, right? Like with cars and the goal is to get from the starting line to some distant finish line and ev- everyone can drive their car. And I'm, I'm not even saying that this describes reality, but like in the Republican concept, right? Like everyone is the master of their own destiny, right? So you get to drive your car, but the reality is, and people are very aware of this, that like some people are in, beat up Hondas and some people are in like monster trucks. So yeah. they're, they're, they're at the starting line looking around they're saying, yeah, like I'm the master of my own, I can steer the car, but it's a good chance that this thing's going to break down on me a quarter of the way through the race. And, and, and so that like the idea of no restriction, it, it it's not, it's not very seductive. I I do agree that it's not very seductive. And I think that I think that at its core, the moral argument that conservatives can make is inherently optimistic. Like you can do it, basically, is the message. I think the left's ethos is you can't do it. You need these, you need these like you could say handicaps or assistance or whatever you want to call it. I think that I don't think Republicans should do that same thing. I think what I I see Trump doing is you can't do it. We need to bring your jobs back. You know, we need the government to help you succeed. And I, I don't see that as like, it can get people angry and it can get people, you know, resentful of how things have changed and, you know, negative emotions like that are compelling, but I just don't think it is going to be long lasting because I think the, the left of center pessimism is a lot more convincing i'd say two things one i think like whether you're helping people or whether you're protecting them i I mean i I think a lot of it has to do with contract the government creates the market so the government's the one who created more free trade in the first place and that's the reason why people are losing their jobs so i think depending on your starting point either they can either be giving you some sort of advantage or they can be rectifying some sort of ill i think that's the first piece the second piece and i don't I don't really want to talk about this on this podcast, but I, I think there are there are looming questions about as technology becomes more advanced, is it even feasible for everyone to be able to have a, a successful career, and what 
what are they going to be doing? I don't know. I think the idea that like the free market is going to adequately provide a career with a satisfactory career in life for everyone. I think that's been pretty robustly dismissed and we, we've talked about it before, so I don't yeah. want to get too deep yeah, in the woods, but I think there, there is that concept. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And, and that is definitely the perception. I just, I would like to see Republicans, even if we could say, you know, it's not, maybe as convincing as it was, I still think the idea of like, it's uh, bad connotations nowadays, but you know, like the Western expansion of the US, manifest destiny, take up your things, move somewhere new, build a life for yourself. You have the power to do that. I think that that is culturally the answer. And we can kind of bicker about little adjustments or like practical things we could do here and there to make that easier. But I think ultimately the message has to be from Republicans that people are in control of their own destiny. And that's a good thing. I, I don't think people being in control of their own uh, their own destiny is necessarily in contradiction with some form of government assistance, right? Like I think they can both be true. I, I just think the, the idea of so the free market being sufficient and, and there not being a significant need for government intervention. I, I, I just, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of salience with basically any subgroup of Republicans or, or Democrats. As you know, I wrote an article be- before this podcast over the weekend, and it, it was uh, on some Pew research that came out in mid 2017. And they, within the Republicans, one of the four typologies was market skeptic Republicans. And another one was like mm-hmm. new era enterprisers who, who also, they have different views of the market, but neither of them believe in the free market. So two of the four Republican typologies that they looked at are skeptical of free market. So I just, I don't see that as a, an adequate stance. You can sell that. I just don't know if anyone's buying it. Yeah, you might be right. I just don't know where you go from there. Then, then I feel like we're two parties talking about the need for government assistance. Right, but there's a whole spectrum. You do believe in some form and some level, yeah. right? So it, there's a whole spectrum and and it can come in a lot of different forms, right? Like it can come in terms of, of wealth distribution or aid or various forms of protection or what have you. So I, I think there's a, whole, there's a whole world out there, but I, I just... I think clinging to a Reagan-esque free market styled economy, it, it's, it's a thing of the past. I, I think that's a perfect segue to, in preparation for this, I tried to think about the different GOP models. And I, I think there's, there's three. Broadly speaking, I see it as like Trumpism as one. The second being like a libertarianism, Reaganism. This is like, this is the old GOP. This is like pre pre-2016 GOP. And then there's the working class republicanism slash compassionate conservatism. So the libertarian Reaganism, I see there's fading support for it, but it's basically entitlement reform, fiscal restraint, free trade, comprehensive immigration reform, law and order politics, uh, like a real politic, international stance, traditional family rules and structure, cutting taxes and spending while advocating for more intervention abroad. Would it be fair that, generally speaking, that is the category you fit into? Yeah, I would say so. So that's one. And then 
right, what we're currently under right now is Trumpism, which you know we may disagree with this, but I, I see it as sort of like a class-based ethnic nationalism. There's a lot of, it's fueled by a lot of resentment and cultural issues. I see what happened uh, to Kansas as really informative uh, about that, the fuel for that. Closed off immigration stance, uh, very like protectionist trade policies, international skepticism, downgrading of environmental concerns. It's advocating things like uncontroversial healthcare measures like prescription drugs, uh, like reducing the cost of prescription drugs and also like things with the VA, but no real comprehensive reform there. Tough on crime, tough on immigration, farm aid, tax cuts. Yeah, well, I would push back strongly that there's any ethnic element here. It's definitely nationalist, but I think there's no evidence that it has anything to do with ethnicity, you know, or skin color or anything I mean, 88% of Trump voters are white. I I don't... What does that mean? I'm just saying there's a heavy correlation. I think you actually have to point to some ideas versus just the racial identity of the voters. I think the stance on immigration is indicative of the racial component. I think the... Maybe. Maybe. It's like, it's, it's a difference between could be and is. Shutting down the border between U.S. and Mexico or whatever, that means that less Hispanic people are coming across the border. Does that mean that that is why? No, I... You know, is that they're anti-Hispanic people? What evidence would you would you find convincing as to having an, an ethnic ethnic aspect to it? I'm not saying it's entirely that. I mean, I listed like many many different aspects of the the, the Trump movement, but I I don't think I think it's fairly reasonable given everything that's happened. I could write a, a small book on on every single racial issue, and and you could say, well this one and that one and that one, like that was overblown, but taken all together, I, I don't entirely see how you can disc, disc, discard the racial element. I mean, am I, am I wrong? Yes, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, there's several different directions I could go here, but, and I don't want to get just bogged down on this one thing, but, but I will say that I think it's hard to square the idea that Trump is an ethno-nationalist with the idea that he's cut down immigration just across the board, not just from you know specific countries generally. Now, I know he said that thing about shithole countries and all that, but I think that can be justified pretty well as these are you know a, a merit-based immigration system. If that tends to correlate with racial categories, I personally don't care whether it correlates or not. Um, as long as the merit system is being applied equally, then I think that's fine. I also think that there's an element of Trumpism that is different than, you know, the previous category, and that is the criminal justice reform. I, it it was interesting to me that I, that Trump kind of almost like his, his strategy in trying to get the quote unquote black vote, which I don't, I don't like that term, but you know, Black voters was saying, hey, look what I've done for criminal justice reform. Um, You know, that's an issue that concerns Black Americans. I see that even as kind of giving in to maybe some of some left of center arguments that the criminal justice system does, in fact, you know, disproportionately target Black Americans. I see him as saying, yeah, that's true. And look what I've done. That doesn't strike me as an ethno-nationalist. 
I mean, that was not anything that he campaigned on. And I don't know. I don't find it wholly convincing, but that's fine. I, it's not really a sticking point of my sure. general description. But I mean, would you disagree that it's very fueled by rhetoric and cultural issues rather than like substantive policy? Yeah. Yeah. I also think it, I don't know. It, it seems to me, I've been trying to wrap my head around what Trumpism is for a long time. It seems random to me a lot of times. I mean, just uh, to me, yeah. it's just a massive middle finger to the establishment and to liberals. I, that's what I see as really like the cohesive idea is that people are pissed off. And so it's basically like, screw you liberals who think that you're better than us and look down on us and screw you establishment who's not looking out for our interests. And I, I think there's a, there's a willingness to, to, to burn things down as sort of a rebuke to, you know, other, other groups. I don't know if that resonates at all with you. Yeah. I think the way Trump behaves, yes, I agree with that. I think there's something interesting with his policies. But again, you agree that his policies aren't the driving motivator behind his support. Obviously, he needs to have certain policies or some people wouldn't support him, but his diehard supporters, they don't, I don't think they're super interested in in his policies yeah in terms of what he campaigns on and i think the yeah i I would agree with you that i think what drives people to vote for trump is their hatred of the media i think it's more the media even than democratic politicians i think it's really trump versus the media i don't think it's democratic politicians per se but i i think it is sort of the the liberal elites right like yeah you you think you're better than us you coastal elites and 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 sort of media empires as an extension of that and screw you and basically like owning the libs or triggering the libs is is where you get your kicks right yeah yeah i'd agree with that so so you see that obviously i want so i wanted to ask molly but didn't get the chance to like whether she saw like whether trumpism can survive outside of trump I think it can, yeah. but but I wanted to also get your take on the so the third type, the working class republicanism slash compassionate conservatism. I know I know you are not a super huge fan, but just like a little bit of a description, just like a focus on up up to this point, the focus on consumption was wrong, and really there needs to be a new focus on production instead. So instead of America's Americans being consumers, we're producers and a heavy focus on manufacturing, transportation, infrastructure. There's this heavy Catholic, so like the, the Catholic social tenants underlying this whole concept and the belief in wealth redistribution and then just general skepticism yeah. about the market, about too much corporate power and a belief that we need to recenter the country around family, neighborhoods, faith, things yeah. like that. And so for for that category, I see Marco Rubio as as a as a leading figure, possibly Ben Sass, uh, but 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 maybe not. 
Uh, if I could just jump in here with this category, I think another term for these people are quote unquote common good conservatives. And if anyone is interested that's listening, check out the debate between Sohrab Amari, S-O-H-R-A-B, Amari, A-H-M-A-R-I, I think, versus David French. David French, I think you could you could say is an establishment Republican. He's not a politician, but he's he's a conservative lawyer. He is a never Trumper. I think he helped form like the Lincoln Project or checks and balances or something. But he doesn't like Trump very much and is more libertarian. So Rab Amari is this is I think the beginning of the modern common good conservative movement. Um, he believes that the conservatives should fight the culture war pretty strongly and use the power of government to promote, you know, Catholicism in the public square. And Adrian Vermeule is a Harvard law professor who wrote a piece called Common Good Originalism, which basically makes the argument that independent of the other two branches, the courts should enforce the common good on the people. You know, thing, things like family, anti-pornography stuff, so it's really like religion. To me, it seems like theocracy, you know, and I don't like that very, I don't like that very much at all. And, but they, they are very, they like playing the class politics. They don't, they're not, I think conservatives a lot of time don't, I mean, me included, I don't like looking at the world in terms of working class versus the, you know, ruling class or whatever, but so Amari and, and the like do neatly divide the world that way. They are definitely a camp. I don't think they are, I don't know that they have many politicians at this point, but I think it is a growing movement that I think we will see a lot more of in the coming decades. I'll just will say like, I don't think that's the only way that it can play out. I mean, I was, so I was looking at this. So this is also the 2017 uh, peer research. And the only, so of the eight typologies so that's like core conservatives, country first conservatives, market skeptical Republicans, new era enterprisers. Uh, so that's the Republicans. And then devout and diverse, disaffected Democrats, opportunity Democrats, and solid liberals. Those are the Democrats. The only category for whom like less than 50% said that inequality was, was not a big problem in the US were core conservatives but 70% of country first conservatives, 86% of market skeptical Republicans, and 73% of new era enterprises all said that the, the country, that, that inequality was a really big problem. And, and sizable numbers of both the country first conservatives and the market skeptic Republicans, so uh, 41% and 94% said that the economic system in the country un, un, unfairly favors powerful interests and obviously majorities in, in all four uh, democratic typologies also said that the, the economic system unfairly favors powerful interests. So I, I just, I see it as, as, a, as a trend, as an evolving trend within the Republican party that cannot be ignored. And so I don't, I don't know if without including that piece, you can put forward an ideology that's going to be sustainable. Um, I, I think it's relevant yeah. to, to mention that the Republican Party has declined to roll out a new platform for 2020. They just basically said, footnote our 2016 platform, because 
like the platform is Trump. Like, there's not really a there's not really a, a robust thought out plan, and and I'm very curious to see what that looks like. I'm also curious to see how this election will impact that. I I think we will see the Republican Mar- Party move significantly to the left if if Biden wins, right? Because it, it, it'll it'll make clear that you're going to need to move, at least on economic issues, you're going to need to move further to the left if you want to still be able to be a, a player. Maybe. You might be right about that. My only, I don't know if this qualifies as a disagreement, but I wonder if, I mean, Trump himself is to the left of most Republicans when it comes to economics. I, I believe anyway. I mean, he's not for cutting entitlements. He seems to want government support. I mean, he's cut, he's blocked student loan payments for, I think, longer than people thought he would. So I think it might go that way. But I think for everything you think about Trump, he is not a, he's not a conservative when it comes, traditionally speaking, when it comes to economics. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Trump, I think Trumpism is much easier to categorize than Trump himself. He, he is very much a, a freewheeling individual who just sort of does whatever s- seems like a good idea in the moment. Like yes. a good idea in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> for, for better or for worse. Like yeah. I, like I see the criminal reform as sort of an extension of that rather than a really well thought out plan. He, he's just like, ah, oh, people's people seem to like criminal reform. Like let's do that. So yeah, I mean really the only, like the, the, Republican, the GOP platform is, it's called President Trump's second term agenda. And I, th- I found it pretty funny because it's basically a wish list of really abstract things with no plan at all yeah. to how to do them. And it's just stuff like enact fair trade deals that protect American jobs. <laughs> like who would not want that? Yeah. Create a create a healthcare system with little cost to consumers, but maximum benefit to everyone, where people could keep the doctors they want and yeah. get the care that they need when they need it. Like that's that's our plan. Um, well, that's the thing is like, and you know, I, I'm on the uh, Trump listserv or whatever, so I get like letters all the time and text messages and stuff. So I see all that stuff. Have you seen his ad? Where it's it's got the um, the purge, like <laughs> no, I haven't seen that in the background. Oh, <laughs> I'll look it up. That's pretty funny. Peak, it's, my brother sent it to me. It's it's peak. I will, I'll check it out. Yeah, I, I look. I, I think that with the trade deal stuff, that that's kind of what I'm talking about. Is that like he is so different use of tariffs and stuff like that. I mean, he is Lincoln esque in that regard. Lincoln was pretty anti-international trade was more nationalist yeah i mean i think that is also just a reflection of the time fair yeah i think he's more authoritarian is is really what it is and i'm not saying he's an authoritarian i'm just saying yeah you're probably right it really depends on what your definition of the right is right if if your definition of the right is economic if your goalpost for conservatives is reagan then yeah it is a drift away but i don't I don't necessarily see it as a as a drift, as a liberal drift necessarily. It's it's just a, it's a more 
authoritarian. It's twist. hard to categorize, I think, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to answer your earlier question, I don't know. I'm I don't think actually that Trumpism, Trump Trumpy Republicanism can survive after Trump. I, I think he is a unique figure. Nobody could Trump like Trump. No, I mean they can't. I mean, every time we've seen someone try to do it, I mean the Republican primary, everyone that tries to do Trump fails miserably. And it just I don't think he can work with anyone. He has the skill on camera. What do you think about Josh Hawley? I don't know. I think I don't think so. I maybe. You might maybe. But I think it's gonna be really hard. It's not he's yeah. got his own brand, but it's it's the 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 populist strain is there. Yeah, I think populism will will survive after Trump. Josh Hawley, I think, might be one of the might be on the line with the common good conservatives because I know I know that So Rabamari, who I follow on Twitter, loves Holly. So I I do want to touch on this because I think it's really interesting and it feels like a internally questionable concept. So what's like the republic the new skepticism of big tech mm-hmm. on the right is weird to me. First of all, it it does seem more like a like a liberal like a democratic issue. The, the skepticism of big tech. Yeah, I mean traditionally, yeah. And yeah, traditionally. So it's uh, it's definitely odd that Republicans would go after it. Also, given their sort of free speech absolutism, I think that's also odd. I mean, is there any way to look at it other than we don't like the way you've been treating us, so we're gonna? No, I think that. Is, is there is there a better faith argument than that? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you can tell tell me if this is a better faith argument, but I think the argument would be it's not I don't think it's just I'm pissed off at you. You know, now I want to use the power of of the state to come after you. I think it's I think there is a problem with the the level of power that companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google have over, you know, how Americans come by their information find their news sources, all that stuff. I mean, they wield an incredible amount of power that's unprecedented in American history. So maybe that warrants yeah. some sort of regulation or update to the First Amendment. And yeah, I'm all for regulating big tech. I am front and center in saying that how it is impacting us. I mean, I, I see a lot of the radicalization in politics as intrinsically tied to big tech. I just think it's interesting because there's a lot of, there's a lot of data, nothing that I can cite to off the bat, but I, I've, I've read a, a lot of uh, articles indicating that it actually, the, it has a conservative lean, the, the um, like big tech in terms of yeah. like who, who is propagating more problematic information. It has a conservative leaning. So it just, I don't know. It, it's, it's a little bit ironic. I think the, the fact is that conservatives are very successful on Facebook. I don't know about Twitter, but I know they're very successful on Facebook, for example. So it is kind of strange to see them wanting to, you know, take Facebook to task. But yeah, I think it is a big departure from protecting free speech, you know, keeping the government away from regulating big corporations. And I think that Republicans should be very, very wary of just on the basis of, you know, I don't like your censorship to regulating that. Because if you give the government the power to regulate those companies, that's not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. 
just to like pull everything together, I think that something in common is with, you know, with the common good conservatives, I think they make a somewhat convincing point and saying like, look, the culture has moved so far to the left over the past couple decades and conservatives have done pretty much nothing other than saying lower tax rates and, um, you know, free speech for everyone. And in doing so, uh, you know, we've lost things like traditional marriage. Um, we've allowed, there was a big issue for them. It was the drag queen story hour where like, public libraries would have like drag queens come and read to kids. The common good conservatives saw that as, you know, anathema, child abuse, that kind of stuff. So their point is that, you know, taking just like gay marriage as an example, you know, in 2014, it was totally socially acceptable to be anti-gay marriage. Mm -hmm. Just in like a few years. Now, if someone's anti-gay marriage, it's like a huge, like a cancel culture thing. Marriage is definitely anomalous in, in that sense. I, I think one interesting sort of meta point to the extent that I'm not misusing that is, I think it's really interesting how both sides feel like they're losing because Republicans feel like they're losing on the cultural issues and Democrats feel like they're losing on uh, economic and, you know, issues, gun control, abortion, things like that. And so it's one, it's one reason why in a lot of ways, like everyone's angry. Yeah. Right. Because everyone feels like they're losing. Yeah. It is interesting to watch people like So Rabamari or even Trump or, you know, conservative talk shows or something. And then watch things like Bill Maher or CNN. And everyone is saying that, you know, we're getting killed and we play by the rules. The other side is just about power. And, you know, we should start just being about power too. And that, that I think is very concerning. That bothers me a lot. This, this leads me pretty cleanly into a question about, do you think if, if Biden wins, do you, is the, are we going to see a GOP strategy that mirrors what we saw under Obama? Like, is it just going to be obstructionism? And I guess in addition, and I know these are loosely correlated questions, but maybe you can tackle both of them. I have questions about whether the GOP has a large enough policy platform to even really be a governing party, right? Like they, they, they seem like a minority party, even when they're the majority. So maybe you can. Yeah, I definitely think the strategy, I mean, the only winning strategy right now, I think for the GOP is to try and build a big tent of everyone that's angry at the left. And I think that's easy to do. You'll get classical liberals, you'll get common good conservatives, things, people that don't agree on things like free speech on due process, but they know they hate the left. Um, I think that's the only way they win, um, you know, but maybe that's still not good for the country. I'm willing to hear that argument. Um, I think that, I don't think that's a bad thing, politically speaking, because, you know, building a, as, as I think the Democrats keep closing the Overton window and saying like that viewpoint isn't acceptable, cancel culture that, this, that, and the other thing. I think that if Republicans say, come to our side, that's a winning point I, I think the more they do that obviously the less they have a platform um, right yeah but i i think right now the gop has a much narrower platform than than the than the democrats so i maybe i'm not sure i think they have a lot of room to expand ideologically compromising the the core because right now 
I think the reason I would never vote for a GOP candidate is I don't feel like they're offering anything yeah. to me that I want. What was your first question? I forgot what your... Oh, just, just about whether whether or not the GOP is going to revert back to sort of an obstructionist oh, yeah. um, position if, if Biden wins. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of bristle a little bit at the obstructionist language because, of course, no you know, the Democrats aren't obligated to help Trump, you know, with his legislative agenda at all. But I don't know. I see just out of spite, maybe, but. Because like right now, there's no, there's everyone's waiting for this newest aid package and the GOP is, is the governing party. So you would expect them to be pushing it forward, but it, but they're not. We had, we had a situation similar to, so uh, the Democrats were trying to push through aid under Obama and the GOP basically refused to play ball, you know, unless they got everything that they wanted. And then eventually the Democrats caved because they were the governing body and people expected them to, to be the ones to have to, you know, make, make sacrifices to get a bill through. Now the GOP should be the ones making the sacrifices to get an aid package passed. And yet they're not. And so that's just like the question about like, like they're, they're playing an obstructionist playbook, even when they're in power. Does that, does, is that making sense? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the GOP only controls half of Congress and the presidency, so that's not sufficient to get anything done. I know that for COVID, the house has been pretty, you know, even back in March, I mean, Nancy Pelosi held up the the relief bill for things like corporate diversity requirements. Right, I, I know, but I'm saying, I, and I would expect the Republicans to like be playing ball, like making making sacrifices because they're they're like, listen, if this aid bill doesn't get passed, we're going to be the ones who people blame because we're in power. But they're not doing that, and I think that's why I, I question if they're even a governing party because they don't seem to have any. They don't seem to be worried about losing power in in 2020 in a way that would make sense. What do you mean by that? I'm saying if if the roles were reversed, I think the Democrats right now would be making deals with the Republicans to get an aid package passed, right? Because they would feel that if the aid package didn't go through, they would lose in a landslide in 2020. Yeah, I'm surprised that, that I'm not seeing that same mentality from the Republicans. And, you know, based on my reading, like like Republican staffers are like, yeah, there's no real plan. There's no real plan to get an aid package passed. People are sort of jockeying for 2024, which makes me question whether or not the Republicans are really a true governing party anymore, because it seems like so much of their uh, the energy from their base comes from backlash. Yeah do things rather than a, a strong desire for something. And, and I see that as sort of the Achilles heel of the Republican Party. Like, that's why I would never vote for them, because I don't feel like they're offering me anything. They're just telling me about all the things that they hate, which I agree with on a lot of, on a lot of issues, you know, cultural issues that I disagree with. But I'm I'm only going to vote for you if it feels like you're 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 offering me something. So I I think maybe this new compassionate conservatism you're right like it it might be able to broaden the tent enough. 
but yeah, I hope. Yeah. Like until the GOP seems like they're really offering something rather than than simply being more, I don't want to say fabricating, but cultivating backlash. Yeah. I think there's a line that we could draw between. I think there's a line where we can stop bringing people into the tent because you're right. We do need to make an affirmative case for why people should vote for us instead of just look at how much they suck. I was talking with a conservative friend of mine at law school and he was saying, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't focus so much on abortion because it's not a winning issue. And I think that, I think that that is a mistake. I think that abortion is one of the, I mean, just take an example, things like abortion, I think have the makings of an affirmative case. I mean, you can, you can say that you make the argument that, that abortion is murder and here's why. And if you elect us, we will eliminate this horrible miscarriage of justice. So I, I think thing, things like that, I think, are the few examples where the GOP could make an affirmative case. I think their problem with that is it's not a very politically convinced. I mean, I'm convinced by that. I'm pro-life, but. I think they have been making that case, though. If I, if I would, had to bet money in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, the Republicans will lose. They will lose the abortion battle. I I had I would put a lot of money on it, and so I mean if you look across sort of the you know wealthy democracies, which countries have have banned abortion, right? And I, I I agree with you that it's not a winning issue. I and I and there's so many Democrats who would never vote Republican for that sole issue. Generally, I think the Democrats are a lot better at strategy and politicking than than Republicans are. I think that at least in the early days of this whole woke thing, I think they have basically said, I'm going to argue for what I believe in, even if it's not a convincing issue. I, I don't think the argument that America was systemically racist was very convincing in like the 90s, but it's very convincing now. And I think that if we have, and you know, they've kind of taken control of the university system, so that might have something to do with it. But, but I don't think they were advocating for it before it became popular. Like, like there's, there's been a very consistent, I don't know. I mean, Al Sharpton, like merger between, uh, what is culturally salient and what is a democratic position. Yeah, you might be right. I guess all I'm saying is, I think Republicans should make concessions where it makes sense. Like, if it's about things like core issues, like free speech and due process, let's bring in everyone that supports that, you know, and look at what the other side is doing to, you know, destroy those ideas. Um, but also don't, don't make concessions on the things that count, even if it means you're going to lose, you know, you might lose on the abortion thing. I think go down, go down fighting, I think is the, I think that it shows that you have compassion. I don't know. I think that's the best you can do really. I don't know. It, it seems like gay marriage to me a little bit, where even if you believe it fervently, you're not you're not gonna win, and the cost seems, it you know, like even even if even if Republicans were able to overturn Roe v. Wade, it's it's gonna be fleeting, and and I think the blue wave in response to that would would. Yeah. Just, but then I feel like we're already we've we've already lost. Well, no, no, because it you. I mean, do you feel like 
the Republican Party with a pro-choice stance of some kind is is no longer the Republican Party. I mean, because that 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 is the I position. I do, yeah, I do actually think that. I think that that's so I think foundational mm-hmm. to conservatism that I mean it, it might it, you know still be the Republican Party, but it wouldn't be a conservative party, and I think there would there'd be a vacuum that would need to be filled. Got it. Got it. Interesting. It's a tough thing, though. I don't I don't know how Republicans are gonna are going to win. I mean, I think it comes down to the, I think they need to fight the culture war and I think they need to fight it hard on things that resonate with conservatives, you know, things like abortion, um, leave government out of things as much as possible. You know, y- you control your own destiny. We'll, we'll care for the people that really need it. But that sounds exactly like what they're currently selling and people aren't buying it. I don't think they are. I don't know. I, I don't, like you have Trump for the, for the exact reason that people aren't buying it anymore, right? Trump is a direct response to that, where people are not satisfied with the current party platform. So you can keep trying to to sell that, but I I don't know how that works. Well, I'm not I'm not sure, but my concern is if we lose that, then. It's like it's like changing too. If you change too much, then you're no longer. You've already you've lost because you've given it up. If these are your core ideas, then you know change, lose too many of those, I got and you. you've already lost the war. You're 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 willing to fight a, a Pyrrhic battle on it. I got you. Let me let me throw an idea by you. I uh, I heard it in a podcast. I don't agree with it, but I thought it was interesting. And so it was a it was a concept of how we could turn down the political heat, which would just be to amp up federalism. Yeah. And so the uh, democratic states could do whatever they wanted and the Republican states could, could do what they want. Does is that? Yes. I also, that, that question made me think of something for what we were talking about before. So I actually think something that would be compelling that Republicans should and could do is argue for restoring the constitutional order. So getting rid of the administrative state, I think a lot of people hate all all these, you know, bureaucrats and departments. I think that's very convincing to a lot of people. Let's get rid of that. Let's have Congress do its job. Everyone hates Congress. So I think that's convincing. Um, And let's not have, you know, these career bureaucrats rule your life. I think you vote on your representatives. They make the law. I think that could be a convincing argument and i also think just next is it though given that congress doesn't seem to really be able to do anything right now i think that people are so sick of congress that great but but because congress doesn't get the job done well that's kind of congress's own doing though is that like they i I agree like congress doesn't get it done because because bipartisanship is so taboo right now. And so when you have the filibuster, just nothing, nothing happens. Right. And so, cause you need a, you need a 60 vote split on, on a lot of these issues. So the idea of now saying, Oh yeah, that's that, that body who isn't able to pass really anything that's substantial. Let's put more on their, their plate. I, well, I think it's really just, I mean, it's its that or, I think the alternative is have these unelected people who sit there for 40 years 
making decisions and then they get deference from the court. So they really have like little check on their power. And I don't think most people like being dictated to by people who sit in Washington and work in like the Department of Health, you know, or justice or whatever about what they can do in their daily lives. I think that people will want maybe if given that choice to say, yeah, I want to force Congress to do something. I'm going to vote for people that are willing to do something. But yeah, I mean, it's not an it's not an easy sell. I do think that ultimately you're going to have to fight the cultural battle of wanting people to be more bipartisan because I think it has to I think it has to be bottom up, not top down. And I think federalism, like you were saying, is a great way to do that. Is if you want to if you want to like let's give let's restore power to the states as it was, you know, before the new deal and you know, if you want if you're super left Go live in California. You know, you can rule yourself basically according to your values and people who agree with you. And if you are conservative, go live in like Kansas or something, you know? I think that that is a good way to dial down the heat. I mean, very interestingly, though, um, in the podcast, they raised the issue that in a lot of ways, for federalism to work, you would also need Congress to work because if California, for example, wanted to do single payer, they would have to get Congress to provide a waiver so that they wouldn't have to like pay into uh, federal health care, right? And so unless we fundamentally reform the state power, you're left with a lot of the same issues. Well, yeah, but I, I think, I mean, that's, I think that's easily done. I think that if it would save taxpayers money they might be willing to do that. But it wouldn't though, because right, because California sends a lot of money to the federal government. Right, but I'm saying, I mean like w- with all these things, taking it out of the federal government, I think people don't like that because people are like, well, you don't care about this then, you know? But I think if just generally we made most things, I think if this is the idea that we make most things at the state level, we could do that. Yeah, I just mean, the the democratic states are the states with the most money so i wonder what issues you run into when the the blue states say hey like we don't want to pay into your into your bucket anymore and republicans start to say oh wow all the you know our revenue stream is going to go way down does federalism still sound so appealing I think it does. I think if the federal government were to spend a lot less, that's, I think, already a conservative, traditionally conservative viewpoint. I also think, from what I understand, the federal government sends a lot more money to blue states than they get back, or at least they send a significant amount. That that might not be true. You can fact check me on that. But Yeah, I don't think that's true. But But I know that, I remember like McConnell and Governor Cuomo in New York got in, this is like months ago, got into a a spat about like blue state bailouts. I know, crazy. They don't like each other, but. Huh, who would have thought? But it was like this whole thing because like Mitch McConnell said, this like COVID relief program is a blue state bailout or whatever. And then it, it kind of got into that whole idea of like, where does the money come from? Stuff like that. I think Kentucky has been off operating on a surplus or something in terms of their like federal state expenditures or whatever. And I think, I think New York has been operating at a, uh, at a pretty steep deficit from what I understood. So it 
point is it might not be that bad making that trade-off. It's a much longer conversation that maybe we can have at some point, but I, I just want to throw it out. It was an, it was an yeah. interesting idea because it, it was this general conversation on, on polarization and how do we turn down the temperature. I think a lot of that has can come from media reform and social media reform, things of that nature, possibly rolling back the filibuster, but we can save that for later. Yeah, we can save that for, for a later episode. I definitely think that federalism is that that I think is the core of our constitution and uh, and our system of government. We don't no other country in the world has has that kind of a system. I think that is the antidote to our national politics being so bad because if our national politics didn't matter so much, maybe we wouldn't argue so much about it. Yeah, no, I I I was listening to a different podcast like many 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 months ago on that exact topic. But he was talking about how, in a lot of ways, local politics could, a a greater focus on local over national politics could solve a lot of our issues because, A, there's a lot of power in local politics and you can actually change things that have a a real impact on your life. And uh, just that, like, getting involved in local politics you can you can you can you can feel democracy working whereas at the national level it can just feel really frustrated because there's so many competing voices that it's much harder to get things done and so it could be a much better outlet people could feel more civically engaged if if their focus was more local rather than than national i I think that's interesting yeah i agree well i think i think we've done two hours i think that's probably a good place to leave it. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode, TBD. We'll be talking about the future of the Democratic Party. As always, if you are interested in coming on to be a guest, please let us know. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And also, Molly has already left us, but you can follow her on Twitter at at Mall McCann, M-O-L-M-C-C-A-N-N. Um, so follow her there and thank you again to to molly for for coming on it was a total pleasure to have her yes absolutely all right well see you guys next time